because conscience and prudence are virtues, they're habits. They have to be practiced over time. Uh, and that if we aren't practicing civil engagement, uh, if we're not practicing uh, being thinking through social issues, we're not going to be able to do it well when it comes time to vote. Welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast, a spirit-centered podcast. Join us each week for a conversation on faith, current events, and everything in between. Hey folks, and welcome to this episode of the Spirit is Lit podcast. My name is Jacob DeRussia. Um, and this week we have a wonderful episode with, uh, an old colleague, an old friend of mine named Joe Twiner. Um, and he recently wrote, uh, a paper in a Boston college conference that he presented. Um, this is, we are now in the year 2021, but he, the paper was, came out in 2020 during the, um, election season, and he was talking about this sort of conscience forming rooted in St. Thomas Aquinas's idea of forming conscience. So we talk about this, uh, these uh, words like cinderesis and prudence and conscience, and he breaks down what that all means in terms of um, voting, but like now that we're beyond the election, um, what that looks like in terms of civic engagement and just still being involved in the world. Um, as Catholics and what that looks like. So enjoy. Joe, um, welcome to the podcast. It's it's good to see you again. Uh, how's everything going? Things are going well. I'm here in Boston. Uh, so it's snowing outside right now, which might be a little different for y'all down in Arizona. Um, yeah, dude, well, dude it, um, it actually just snowed. So it's, uh, we're recording this on uh, January 26th, it just snowed like like a quarter of an inch, a little bit outside of Phoenix. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know if it snowed. I'm from Georgia, so I didn't know if it snowed. Like, I didn't know how far west or elevation-wise for it to uh, get. That's welcome from Boston with uh, the snow outside. That's that's a good welcome from Boston. Thanks. So, um, Joe, to our listeners, could you tell um, tell everyone just a little bit about you know, who is Joe? How do you, a little bit about your story and how you got to kind of where you are today? Sure. Uh, so my name's Joe. I went to school with Jacob, uh, but I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up there. Uh, I have two brothers and a younger sister, and it's kind of had a pretty standard childhood uh, in terms of when school was involved in sports and all that. Went to college uh, at the University of Dayton in Ohio, uh, which I studied education, finished out there, taught high school religion, and ended up at Boston College. And now I work in labor activism uh, and supporting labor management relations. Uh, So kind of a topsy-turvy way, but uh, to labor management, but here I am. Nice. That's super cool. So um, Boston College has this conference every, I think it's like every year, right? Um, Lumina yes. Vida. <clears throat> and uh, you presented a, a paper there uh, in the, mm-hmm. this past spring called uh, Sacred Voters and Secular Elections Beyond Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. Can you, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of, um, I mean, people hear that title, 
um, and it's mm-hmm. probably ringing some bells in people's ears and getting gear, people's gears going. But I'm wondering if you could explain kind of the inspiration behind that article. Sure. So I wrote this article about a year ago. So the, I presented it about a year ago. So thinking back, we were in the middle of the primaries, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, and there was all the ideas on the left, on the right, and people were starting to talk again about how should Catholics vote. And this gets brought up every four years, but every two years with the midterms, it's it's kind of always on our mind, especially in America, we have such long election cycles. So sitting in that, I was thinking, how do we think through voting? And I went to the United States uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they have this document, Forming Conscience for Faithful Citizenship. And I read it, and I was like, hmm, I want more. I want, some, I want a little bit more than what's here. So uh, being in grad school, I was able to sit down and do some research on uh, what a Catholic perspective on how we think about voting should be. Uh, and that feels like I'm adding extra words, but what I realized in the end is it's not about how Catholics should vote, it's how Catholics should think about voting. It's about the ideas behind it, not exactly the conclusions. Do you see, um, I don't know, that just reminds me of uh, like, so this podcast is called The Spirit is Lit. And for me, uh, the spirit is like this, um, almost a sense of creativity. So do you see, uh, I guess, the Holy Spirit playing into that and maybe um, disallowing, I don't know, in the sense of the Holy Spirit moving? I don't know how you see that. Yeah, I, uh, what theologian wouldn't like to say that the Holy Spirit's moving in what they're writing, right? I, uh, but no, I think, in a lot of ways, the spirit is about creativity and is about thinking through a variety of things creatively. Um, I think oftentimes our politics are very polarizing. And so the more spirit we can have, the more creativity we can be to kind of break through that polarization, to to be creative about both sides, the better we'd be. Nice, nice. So um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but in in your uh, paper, you talk about this term called synderesis. Uh, can you explain kind of what what that means? Sure, synderesis. It's a uh, you know I, I don't know the etymology. I should have looked this up. It's I think it's a Greek term, uh, and Thomas uses it kind of abstractly. So that's why I didn't look up the etymology because it doesn't have an exact etymology. But Thomas uses it, it to describe the first principles of moral knowledge. So whenever Thomas so I went to Thomas Aquinas looking for more. I was reading through Thomas and found the natural law. And the natural law is our broad understanding of right and wrong played out in human life. Synderesis is his first principle. That's where he starts all of his thinking about the natural law. That's uh, how, does, how do we understand right and wrong? And Thomas thinks that we have a natural understanding of right and wrong, that in the abstract, when we don't get into specifics, we're able to think through and say, hmm, I think this is right, and I think this is wrong. And that's at its core what synderesis is, our ability to know right and wrong and, and, and think through it. Okay. So then you also mentioned prudence in the paper. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about like what prudence is and maybe even how it, how it relates and interconnected with synderesis? Sure. Uh, so prudence is a virtue, and when Thomas talks about virtues, uh, he means habits. Virtues are always habits for Thomas. So it's practices, good virtue, good habits are virtues, bad habits are vices. Uh, and so 
prudence is our way of doing things properly. It's our way of putting our knowledge into action. So uh, a prudential person will know the right thing to do in the right time. Uh, and it relates to cinderesis because prudence is is the action. That's the the, my, the the disposition we have about how we act in the world. And so conscience comes together through synderesis and prudence. Uh, synderesis being the abstract knowledge of right and wrong and prudence being how we put that knowledge into action. So when we put these two things together, we, we have to be in the balance of action and thought. And that's where conscience comes in is it's taking our, our thought and putting it into a specific context and saying, oh, in this context, I think this might be the right solution. Or in this context, I think this might be. Okay, so um, if I could, let me see if I, if I'm, uh, I'm sure if I can explain it back and see if I'm like getting it right. Um, so um, it sounds to me like cinderesis would be um, when I think about maybe doing something and there's like an emotion that stirs in me that's like, um, okay, this would be a good bad, good thing or maybe a bad thing. Or even just like, I think about um, wanting to be a good person, so to speak. Um, and that sort of emotion that's stirred in me, is that cinderesis and then like the actual sort of habits and like the actual practical praxis of um, getting to that stage, would that be combination of like prudence in that? Yes. So you're exactly right with cinderesis. It's the, the abstract thinking and prudence is the, the context that you're putting it in. But it's not, even thinking about it abstractly in a context is kind of cinderesis. It's still kind of setting up hypotheticals is still in some way cinderesis. So prudence is, is all about when we live our life and we're not always thinking through things as we do them. That's when the virtue of prudence comes in because it's the habit. It's we habitually do the right thing because we train ourselves to do it that way with the grace of God. So it's like, it, it, it's when it becomes basically a habit kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. So do you see, um, or how do you even, how do you see cinderesis and our prudence having to do with the, you know, the typical, we have the Catholic buzzword, um, forming conscience. How do, how do you see those going together? I think these two things in their combination are, are, are the act of conscience. So I think one difference that I see with forming conscience and Thomas Aquinas is that for Thomas, we have an act of conscience. That's the, the combination of, in action. It's not an abstract way of thinking through things. But what this, the idea of forming conscience is about is about forming our moral knowledge. So synderesis being that one main element of moral knowledge. It's our basic way of knowledge of right and wrong. But Thomas Aquinas was also a scientist. He was a leading figure in, uh, in scientific study of his day. His, his mentor, Albert, Albert the Great, is the patron of scientists because uh, at the time, theologians and scientists were so interconnected. So in a lot of what Thomas did is he was using the science of his day to think through the moral actions. Uh, this got him in trouble. I mean, the, the, the Bishop of Paris burned his books because he was using new science. Uh, so thinking about how we form our moral knowledge, which is I think what it, form of conscience is about, is we have to look at 
synderesis, we have to look at human experience, and we have to look at science. These are the three main things that Thomas pulls together whenever he's thinking about a moral decision. So it seems, based on kind of these elements you're bringing about, that um, forming conscience is pretty uh, also contextual too. Um, mm-hmm. So like it, it could, it, uh, our actions will differ based on. So I'm wondering, um, based on that, uh, how, you know, how can this moral discernment process from Thomas Aquinas um, that you, you've articulated, um, can it lead us to a more maybe holistic understanding of ethics? Yes, exactly. I think that's, I think that's well put. We, when Thomas Aquinas thinks through things, he thinks broadly about things, that it's not, we don't have to think about our ethics in a zero sum, that if this is important, then this is less important. We can say that this issue and this issue, take for example, uh, my work with labor unions right now, we can think workers' rights and environmental justice aren't in combat with each other. We can have both workers' rights and environmental justice. In fact, we probably should have them together, otherwise they're gonna fall apart. And when we think through the context of things, we have to think through uh, today, we're very aware of social structures. We're very aware of political structures and the way they impact us and cultural structures. And so our context has to say, how does our ethics impact those and interact with those social structures? Are they, is it supporting structures of power? Is it supporting structures of liberation? Is it supporting uh, culture? Sub- subversive cultures, it's supporting marginalized cultures, is it supporting a dominant culture? And thinking through the milieu that we're in, the context that we're in, as the way we have to orient ourselves before we can even begin thinking about the context, that the moral decisions that we'll make. Do you see Pope Francis modeling this throughout his papacy? Absolutely. Uh, gotta, gotta love Pope Francis. He, uh, I think Laudato Si is a really great example of this because uh, Thomas Aquinas was all about that science. Uh, and when Pope Francis went to write Laudato Si, he went to the experts. He said, I want to write about climate change, but he's, he's a pope. Let me go and talk to the scientists about how climate change is impacting us. Let's let that be a starting point for seeing we're not taking care of our common home. Uh, and putting that into practice, putting that as a context, that not only is this a, is climate change real, but in the context, it's the existential threat. It's it's the preeminent issue that we have to challenge if we were going to have any life. And so I think that process that Pope Francis initiated with Odyssey is a great example of kind of a broad scale vision of a conscience at play. Yeah, I like that. And uh, I think there's a quote, I don't know who, who said it, whatever, but like he actually, he got like his PhD in, was it chemistry or biology or something like that? Yeah, I think he got a master's in, in chemistry. Yeah, so like he, I mean, he knows to, to a certain extent, I mean, he's obviously, he's obviously talking to scientists, but like to a certain extent, he knows what he's talking about. Um, so uh, uh, were you going to say something? Yeah, I think that he has a good quote. He was, he got his master's in chem- chemistry and he was talking to his mom uh, his mom was Italian, and my family's Italian, so I I try to see the the Italian mom going, "What you doing? What you doing?" You know, and uh, he said that he was going to become a doctor. That was his plan. He was going to go into medicine, and then he also was looking at the priesthood, and 
he went to go leave and I was like, oh, so you're gonna be a good doctor now. He goes, a doctor of souls. And that was his, uh, that was his like way of telling her. Nice, nice. Uh, that just uh, maybe I dig- I'll digress for a second, but there was um we did like a fire round question when I first started working mm-hmm. at St. Pat's, and um I uh, will brag about my answer it was um a surgeon had asked the question if you could perform surgery on anyone what what kind of surgery would you do, and my answer was um to change uh to change hardened hearts into hearts that uh. are different. I don't know I don't know the exact but uh. Yeah. Hey, great, um, great minds think alike. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pope Francis is pretty awesome. Um, so I digress. Um, so uh, Joe, um, mm-hmm. I know you wrote this paper, you know, during the, as you mentioned, uh, during the primaries during the midst of like an election season. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if you, if, you know, and how you still see it applicable post elections, how we can, you know, still be mm-hmm. civically engaged. Yeah, I think, in many ways, I was thinking through how do we form consciousness for this particular action? Because conscience and prudence are virtues, they're habits. They have to be practiced over time. Uh, and that if we aren't practicing civil engagement, uh, if we're not practicing uh, being thinking through social issues, we're not going to be able to do it well when it comes time to vote. Uh, and so like, I, I'm thinking of John Lewis right now. Been, been an Atlanta guy. I'm thinking of John Lewis, who who wrote uh, that democracy is a living thing, and we have to take care of it. So I think that's a a similar mindset to how Catholics should approach civil engagement. That between elections, we should be reaching out to community groups, uh, nonprofits, and be involved in organizing and pushing our politicians, so that when we get to elections, we already know that we have the knowledge about the issues. Yeah, that, I like that. It makes sense. Because, I mean, just that um, we had a sort of, within our young, young adult group this past week, I think, it was, a yeah, last week, last Wednesday was the inauguration day. And one of the things that uh, kind of came up was like, um, with, you know, as a new transition in power and presidency, there's hopes and fears and things like that. And one of the main things was like, I just hope that these the promises that were made within all mm-hmm. levels of like, um, power, I guess, will be kept. So, and I think what you're saying kind of really hits home that like, you know, it's also part of our responsibility to hold people uh, accountable. Yeah, I, one of my colleagues where I work now posted after the election, he said, I hope everyone who used to yell vote now yells organize, that we only can keep, force people to keep the promises if we keep the pressure on. If we're able to say, you promised us unity, we want unity. Here's how we're gonna work for it. You promised us environmental justice, here's how we're gonna organize for it. Yeah, and we have a lot of like, um, I was listening to, uh, I think it was Jesuitical. We have a lot of like, which is really cool, a lot of Catholics within um, politics now. And like, uh, as mm-hmm. Catholics, we can like, um, hey, say these are our Catholic beliefs, so, you know, let's uh, push, you know, whatever. Or whatever that case might be at the time, but in ter- you know whatever context, so it's super cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, last question before we get into our fire round, Joe, is um, what do you think churches can do to adopt a more Thomistic view of engaging politics, forming consciences in a healthy way? It's a great question. I think 
it starts with context. We talked about how prudence is all about context. And I think oftentimes we think when I vote, it's because of this issue or this issue, you know, we, we get focused on single issue voting. And I think the number one thing we could do is step away from the single issue and, and look at how do all of these issues relate? How can we not have environmental justice until we have economic justice? How can we not have social justice until we have uh, equal rights for all people? Um, and I think that when we look at that, we'll see that all of these contexts converge. And so when we look at this, we have to say broadly, how do we do the most to help people? Not how do we do the most good for the most people? That's utilitarian. We're not gonna, that's not it. But how do we, in our context, live out our moral knowledge? The other thing I would say is that we have to get away from the, the, the divisiveness, that we can't, we can't have good conversations about moral knowledge, and that's a hindrance, that in conversation and in dialogue, we're able to have better moral knowledge. So I think those two things, the context and the divisiveness are the two, two things that we move away from those, we move towards a Thomistic view of, of the importance of context, of discussion, of, of community life. Because in the end, Thomas was a, a Dominican friar. He, he lived in community, he worked in community, his, his writing style, uh, implied community, that whenever he wrote, it was implied that he was gonna give this to his students and they were gonna talk about it. So the ability to have discussions, the ability to have dialogue and the ability to move forward together is I think another great Thomistic virtue that we could, could bring into our society today. Yeah, I like that. And I think it was reminding me of just like, uh, I was listening to another podcast about like focusing on kind of the things that we have in common and moving mm -hmm. toward moving forward with that. And I'm also wondering, like, um, it's reminding me and let me know, it, it, do you, would you agree with this in saying that, like, let's say there's a something that we're focusing on in terms of like climate change. And mm -hmm. if we're really going at that, then like there might be some um, ripple effects in like other areas of, is, would you agree in, in terms of like, um, how, you know, um, issues might have intersections? Absolutely. I think uh, intersections is a good way to put it. That's, that's you know, the intersectionality word. Uh, when we think about social justice, we have to think about racial justice. When we think about racial justice, we have to think about economic justice, that it's police violence, but it's also economic inequality that we have to tackle. When we think about environmental justice, who's most affected by environmental injustices. And Pope Francis talks all about this in Laudato Si. So uh, is people on the margins, people in low-income countries who are gonna be affected first by climate change. And so as we strive for a, a less colonial world, a more just world, a global community, the environment takes center stage in that. Yeah, I love that. Also, I got some, um... Good news is bad news, Joe. Um, uh, good news is I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, uh, bad news is we're coming to our end, end of our time. And then um, also some more good news is we have a couple of fire round questions. So are you ready? All right, lay them on me. All right. Um, first, first fire round question is, what person do you think lived out the values of Jesus best, dead or alive? Uh, does Jesus count? Yeah. 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 I think Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, Oscar Romero, and Dorothy Day. 
<laughs> nice, nice, good. And my and my grandma and my grandma. Oh, grandma's always a good one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Next one is favorite method of prayer right now. I pray the liturgy of the hours every morning, so I'm gonna say that. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one is if you were pope for a day, what would you do? Women in the diaconate, uh, women in the priesthood, same gender marriage, and clearing up the Vatican Bank. <laughs> Going a full nice. sweep. Just making the list. Check, 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 check. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get hopped up on caffeine. I'm going full 24 hours. <laughs> as long as you got the caffeine, you can just get them all done. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Joe, this is the last question. It's the most controversial, the most philosophical. I tell everyone this is the most mm -hmm. theological. Um, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Oh, easy. One. You just never let it leave your tongue and you just keep twisting. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> nice. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Joe. Uh, it's good get, getting to chat with you. Uh, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. All right. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for listening to The Spirit is Lit. Have a good one. Peace. <laughs>